Okay. Thanks for your patience. We are walking through the Gospel of Mark this year, one of the four accounts in the Bible of Jesus' life. And uh, last week we began our, our walk through Mark's Gospel with the introductory passage in it uh, about John the Baptizer or John the Baptist whose job was to point to Jesus. So I'll give a real quick summary of that. It was kind of two points. Jesus is the one who deserves all the credit from all, any good that comes from our lives. It's ultimately from God through us. And Jesus offers what we can't sometimes. And so it's our job to say, you know what, when we can't do this certain thing, Jesus, it's over to you. Um, we can't offer new life by and baptism of the Holy Spirit. We can't offer the Spirit of God. Jesus can. So that's last week's sermon in a nutshell. This week, Jesus enters the scene and uh, we read about his baptism and his testing in the wilderness. Really important passage in the whole scheme of things. Uh, possibly one of the most important uh, before we get there, I want to recap my talk from two weeks ago, where, uh, which was about the, our mission as a church and our theme for the year, which is live, to live and love like Jesus. And, and I talked about the defining marks and themes of Jesus' life that we're going to discover this year. Uh, the first one has to do with Jesus' acceptance and embrace of the Father's love for him. It's the covenant relationship that he has with God. Now, I'm not going to have time to unpack that more today, but I did a couple of weeks ago. This, this uh, embrace of the privilege of, of relational commitment and promise that God made. All the others before, Noah, Abraham, tribe of Israel, nation and king of Israel, they all kind of rejected that in one way or another. Jesus was the first to truly uh, embrace this and treat it as non-negotiable. This promise is kind of what covenant means of relationship and commitment. Jesus didn't turn away from it. On the flip side of that, the second theme of Jesus' life was a kingdom representative responsibility, or just a kingdom responsibility to represent God. And so the story of the Bible is that human beings had tried over and over and over again to rule and set up their own ways of ruling the world. Jesus was an ambassador, though, of God's way of leading and ruling. And uh, theologians and pastors will sometimes talk about an upside-down kingdom that Jesus brought, that he's the representative of, an upside-down kingdom where he doesn't come to be served, but to, uh, to, be, to be served, but to serve, to serve others. And this, uh, as we saw in the little video last week, it's a key message of, of Mark's gospel, this kingdom message, kingdom responsibility Jesus has. So these are the, the two themes and that we'll see in the life of Jesus over the course of this year as we walk through Mark's gospel. And this is how he lived and he loved. He lived and he loved as a deeply loved child of God who, who embraced that and as a representative of God's kingdom and God's way. And so this is how we too are to live if we're to be like Jesus in, king, in covenant relationship, kingdom responsibility. Uh, and I encourage you to go back and watch that from a couple of weeks ago, which was a summary of that. The baptism and testing of Jesus, the reason I spent a few minutes on this, you know, recapping that, is because the baptism and testing of Jesus is where we see the essence of this twofold life, these two themes in Jesus' life, most explicitly. This is where we see it, in the baptism and testing of Jesus. And I really believe that it provides us with actually a really clear guide for how to live as followers of Jesus. Uh, in simple obedience. And that's my, my um, talk uh, title today, simple 
obedience. Let's pray and then we'll jump into the passage from Mark chapter 1. Father, I pray that as we open the scriptures this morning that you would enliven them for us, that we would find uh, new energy and new life and uh, a change in our mind and our thinking more towards you through your word. I thank you that your Holy Spirit has been given to us in order to teach us and show us and reveal to us revelation uh, in the scriptures. And uh, it's such a privilege to have your word handed down to us through the ages that we may open it this morning, put it on the screen and and um, allow you to speak to us from it. I pray you would do that, and I pray you would get me out of the equation that you may speak to us directly in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, what I want to do today as we, we go through this is try and quick, quite quickly unpack the, the teaching content, if you like, um, and go, cool, there's that, and then kind of take a breath and do some reflection on, well, okay, that's, that's good, what does this really look like? What's the principle that we can take and, and just live out? Um, so kind of two halves to the talk today. And then, as I said, we'll have an opportunity today just to discuss and go, well, how can we put this into practice? So Mark chapter 1, verses 9 to 15 is where we are. As we read this first, uh, the first time, the question I want to ask is, what does this say about the identity and nature of God? So first we're just reading it and going, what does this say about God? One day, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven, next slide, a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. So who is God here? I don't think this one's too tricky. God is the Father, right? This is the voice from heaven saying, now obviously the Holy Spirit's in there as well, as well as the Son, but God here is the Father. Uh, it's not just by chance that this is the first impression of God that Mark gives in his gospel. This is who, Jesus, this is who God is to Jesus, his heavenly Father, and we want to know that from the very beginning. The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness, where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals and angels took care of him. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee, where he preached the God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last. He announced the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Same question, who is God here? Well, Jesus is talking about this good news about his kingdom, about God's kingdom Otherwise known as his kingship is probably a better translation. God's, uh, his rule, God's reign, God's way of doing things. And so the revelation of God we have here that Jesus is hinting at is that God is king. Sometimes we don't think about things in that way, in a kind of a theocracy type of mindset. But this was the story of the Old Testament. God said, you know what, I'm actually wanting to be the king of you people. And they said, oh, it's all good, God. We've got somebody appointed for that and we can, we can handle that ourselves if you don't mind. God said, all right, good. Have a try, see how that works out for you. But God wants to be king over his people and king over the world. So this is who God is being established as in Mark's gospel. You know, one of the themes is the kingdom of God, the kingship of God. So boom, boom, God is... Jesus' Father, God is Jesus' King. What about what God is doing? I'm going to read the text again. One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and John baptized him in the Jordan River. 
As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved Son, and you bring me great joy. What God's doing here is declaring Jesus' identity. Remember, we are talking about not a God who's distant somewhere, but a covenant-making relational God, a God who wants relationship with us. If you've been in church or hopefully you've heard that said, God's not just a figure up in the sky somewhere. He wants a relationship with you. But more than that, a covenant, solid, committed relationship with you. And this is what God would often do. He would be establish identity as part of this. He would establish a covenant with his chosen person or people in the Old Testament and in through the New Testament too, and give them an identity, give them a name. Sometimes it was a new name. So Abram became Abraham and uh, Jacob became Israel, a new name for a new identity. This is what God does. God the Father provides in this passage Jesus with a certain identity. And in this case, not just a name. That Jesus was named 30 years earlier. He's now 30 years old. But in this case, it's these words. You are my best buddy. No, no, no. You are my son. It's the first words we hear. You are my son. So this is the identity God is giving Jesus. What else does God do here? The Spirit compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals and angels took care of him. And we'll see that the other writers on Jesus' life expand on that story and what happened. But later on, after John was arrested... uh, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. What he didn't do was say, Hi everyone, Um, I'm going to be speaking at the 4pm service in the temple this afternoon about God and I'd really love you to come along. Here's a flyer. Nice to meet you. Hope to see you there, please. He didn't do that. He announced the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. The time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Now, this kind of only uh, comes out in Mark's gospel a little bit. What is God doing here? But I believe what's happening is that God is establishing Jesus' authority, not permission, authority to do this, to say this. And in Mark's Gospel, it just says, as we read, Jesus was compelled by the Spirit to go into the wilderness and was tested. In Luke's account, in one of the other accounts of this this, uh, event, it says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And then it goes on to explain that Satan proceeded to challenge Jesus' identity saying, if you're the son of God, so he challenged this bit, if you're the son of God, oh, are you really the son of God? And then he tempts Jesus with this. I'll give you all my authority. It's a test of Jesus to say, is he going to hold on to the authority God has given him or does this authority look a lot easier and a lot more appealing that the devil is offering? The whole thing... Even the short version uh, that Mark gives that we've just read is setting up Jesus as the one authorised. Don't miss this. Authorised to establish God's kingship on earth. And Jesus accepts this. 
He doesn't take up Satan's authority. He accepts God's authority. And we see it in Jesus' words. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Who is God here? The king of his kingdom. What does the king do? He gives his son authority to establish said kingdom. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, you may recognize that this is basic biblical theology. Uh, God's the Father who loves and adopts us as his children, and we as uh, co-heirs with Christ have been given the authority to declare and establish God's kingdom, the good news, uh, and that say that his way is best, that God's way is best. It's, it's fairly straightforward. Um, it's just a, it's a way of putting it. But this is not just Jesus that we're talking about. As I've, as I've just said, this is about us. That God has made us to be sons and daughters to God. This is not unique to Jesus. This is the good news. We have been given a new identity in Christ. We have been given authority from heaven to overcome the stuff of this world, the powers of darkness, and declare this, this good news. The time has come. The kingdom of God is here. And that God is doing a transforming work, a world-transforming work. And so what is it about Jesus? This is what I want to, to see today, us to see. What is it about Jesus and, and his actions here that give us a guide, give us a motivation and, I, got a, I guess, a blueprint for life? Because this is true no matter what. God's our Father. If we've chosen to, make, to, to allow him to be so, we've got a new identity in Christ. He's our king. We've got new authority. So then what? How, does, how do we differ to the way Jesus responded? And how do we live after the life of Jesus? From verse 12, The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness, where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. Can you just imagine that? Man, fasting for 40 days. Anybody fasting at the moment? You want, to go to, you want to go to 40 days? No food? No, don't think so. 40 days. He was out among the wild animals and angels took care of him. With God as his father and with a clear, established identity as God's son, Jesus simply obeys. He, there's nothing complicated here. If we go to the next slide, this is his obedience. He just goes, you know what? I trust that you're my father. I trust you've given me this identity. That's all I need. I'm just going to do what you say, God. There's nothing complicated here. It's not a big secret to how Jesus lives and what brought power to his life. It's just simple obedience. Securing his identity as a beloved child of God. He enters this hardship, this trial, this testing, because God asks him, and that's it. Spirit leads, he's compelled, Jesus obeys God. And my point here is not to sort of shout, be like Jesus, obey God or else, because that doesn't really work, I've found. <laughs> not in my life, it doesn't. My point is to highlight the power, literally, in simple obedience. The power that comes from it. Why would we want to be obedient? I mean, aside from the fact that God has been so good to us, why else would we want to live in this way, one, two, three, in the way Jesus did? Luke's account of the uh, testing of Jesus includes um, the rigorous testing, the temptation, the need to completely rely on God for sustenance, the wrestle Jesus goes with. He goes without food. He pulls the truths he needs from the Bible to combat Satan's lies and temptations. It's just 40 days of, of just obedience. Stay in the desert. Don't compromise. Stay in this relationship. And the result is this. We don't read it in Mark's Gospel, but if we jump over to Luke, it says that uh, Jesus, he goes in as beloved child of God, 
and with this with his authority already established it says he's full of the holy spirit anybody here like to be full of the holy spirit you know what you are if you're a child of god you have the holy spirit in you full of the holy spirit and and then he leaves having obeyed god the whole time and we read this jesus returned to galilee filled with the holy spirit's power he went in full of the holy spirit and after a long Obedience leaves in the Holy Spirit's power. This is what simple obedience does. I believe that all together, these events, they give us, I guess, a, a powerful, power-filled guide to living and loving like Jesus. Here it is all in one place. God is your heavenly Father. He gives you a new identity as his child when you trust in him. And as the wise and loving king, he therefore gives you authority as his child to represent him to declare his good news, establish his kingdom on earth. But all of that, those top four, is just an opportunity. It's just a, it's, it's just a theory. It's just a possibility and an offer for you until our responsibility kicks in. Simple obedience, which results in power to overcome the kingdom of darkness, to defeat the temptations and trials of evil, and to literally be a part of the kingdom of heaven coming to this earth. And that may be things like temptations in your life. It may be struggles in your life. It may be generational strongholds on your family. Power comes from simple obedience to the Spirit of Christ. It hinges on our simple obedience that comes out of identity as a child of God. So this on the left is, uh, if you didn't know what covenant relationship looks like remember those terms before and this on the right is what kingdom responsibility looks like never get caught up in this because ultimately our relationship with god is the most important thing and all of this flows out of it we don't kind of go god give me more power god give me more power god give me more power we go god show me what you want me to do and out of that comes the power to do what we need so that's kind of the theology, that's the framework that I, I, I hope, um, as we maybe post it on social media and stuff, that you'll pin to your fridge or the back of your toilet door and go, oh yeah, I remember now. That's kind of this guide that Jesus has given me for life in, the, in, the, in him. Um, so, as I said, two halves of this talk. Let's pause that bit and go, okay, cool. That's the teaching component. Now I just want to reflect on this for a minute and go, well, okay. What, is, what does this mean? What does this look like? How do we wrestle with this stuff? Let me share my struggles with this. My mental struggle in this area is this. Is it really that simple? Is it really that simple as simple obedience to God results in the power I need to overcome temptation and see the reality of heaven on earth and get through the struggles that I'm facing and all of that. And, and things like pray for the sick that they may be healed and, and, and preach the gospel and it may be received. Is it really that simple? I'm not sure. My practical struggle isn't about how simple it is, it's about how easy it is. is it, it's not that easy. Sure, I can, I can be obedient to God, but sometimes the things God asks me to do feel like going into the desert for 40 days without food. It's, a, it's not that easy. When the instruction is resist temptation, go without food and, and just pray for a while, spend time on this even though you don't want to do it, go in this direction even though it seems stupid, it's not that easy. Simple obedience, especially to the Bible, which is our primary source of revelation of what God's saying to us, in case you haven't realized, is not a nice, fluffy, 
feel-good book. It's not that easy. Simple obedience is hard, hence simple in inverted commas. And my spiritual struggle is this. How do I know that it's really God? How do I know that it's really what God's asking? Is that prompt from the Holy Spirit, just overtiredness? Is that thing I just read in the Bible right now just some culturally context thing that it doesn't, make, doesn't mean anything anymore? How do I know it's really what God is saying? God's not sitting in front of me like a person just, just saying it to me over coffee. How do I know it's God? Could the Bible really mean that? How do I discern the voice of God here? So simple obedience doesn't seem that simple. I question it, I avoid it, I misinterpret it. Is it really that simple? It's not that easy. And how do I really know? Those are the struggles, if I'm honest. I have to wrestle with and I'm sure most of you have as well. Now, I preached on this before um, from this passage uh, on, the, on the, the testing of Jesus, that Jesus did things in the desert which really guide us in these areas. I mean, he opened the word of God to combat the temptations of the devil. If we want to know how to go about these struggles, Jesus faced them and Jesus showed us how. He opened the word of God. He stayed secure in his identity. That's a key practical strategy. He pointed back to God. There's another key practical strategy. There's so many principles in this passage and we could go um, into them um, for, for a while. But, uh, and especially if you read the expanded versions in Luke's Gospel or Matthew's Gospel. Mark just kind of says, well, this is what happened and then he left. But there was more to it than that. And as we walk through the life of Jesus, it's not just in the desert that we find practical strategies for uh, this obedience to God in the life of Jesus. Jesus shows us again and again, oh, that's how you simply be obedient to God. Oh, that's something I need to do in order to, to be obedient to what God's saying. Oh, Jesus is showing me again. Oh, Jesus is, has kind of done it perfectly there again. Thank you, Jesus. But this is what we will find. Jesus gives us a guide for life. That's why we say, let's live and love like Jesus. Because he showed us how to be obedient to God when it's not that simple. But I feel like there's one thing about this sort of simple obedience, simple obedience, that I'm learning very slowly, mind you. Um, And it's something that's a key message in this opening passage in Mark's Gospel. And I'll I'll, I'll say it like this. a bit of a story first. Last Sunday uh, morning, a week ago, I was, I was kind of tired. I tried not to let it show in my, my um, preaching because I always want to not give, the impression, not give the impression that the Bible is boring. It's life-giving. I want it to be with energy and with, 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 uh, with uh, enthusiasm because the Bible is, is life-giving. But last Sunday, um, Josiah had had a few nights of not sleeping great and exhaustion was starting to, to hit Karen and I and then Karen unfortunately got sick that morning and it was just kind of a hard morning. I was like, ugh. Then that night, the Sunday night, was one of those like, why did we have this child <laughs> nights? I mean, I was wrecked and Karen was wrecked and I, and, and I to be perfectly honest, started putting God in his place. I, I, started, I mean, I had no patience left and I, it was sort of like, God, you gave us this child and you gave me this ministry that's draining on a Sunday and I have no energy left. So if you don't make Josiah sleep right now, I'm going to quit or something. And, um, and nothing happened. And... <laughs> Yeah, eventually I think we fell asleep, both of us, from just pure exhaustion and, and, and probably got a few hours sleep before the next day began. In, in the morning, I repented, you'll be glad to know, um, and said, 
God, you've still got a lot of work to do on me. But I started to realise over the next couple of days that maybe it wasn't so much my, my temper that God was dealing with, although that's there. And, and maybe it wasn't so much my attitude to parenting and, and family that God was dealing with, although that needs improvement too. But more than anything, I think that God in that moment at whatever a.m. it was in the morning was highlighting my need for patience and, and just to give things time. See, I wasn't just demanding that God make Josiah go to sleep so that we could sleep for the night. I've been praying about other things, things that I wanted God to, to do in our, in our family and, and in our church, and then complaining when he didn't answer immediately or hadn't answered yet. But a, fr- a friend said to me recently something that has really stuck with me. He said, I suspect there's an element, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he said to me, I suspect there's an element of God's character that is so deep and so misunderstood and so rich and incomprehensible that we humans have barely begun to understand and experience it. And that is his patience. See, Jesus' first act of obedience was was trying to was enduring a a long, trying, painful 40 days without food, without human contact, just waiting. And this came after 30 years of waiting for his ministry to begin, and this came after 400 years of silence in the people of God. And this came after many, many times when, when, when God's people would... when God would just say, you know what? It's not time yet. It's not time yet. It's not time yet. You're going to have to wait. And when Jesus came out of that wilderness that was 40 days, he declared that the time has come. But the word time in the Greek there that he uses is not chronological time. It's not like, oh, this is the day that it was planned to be. It, it's, it's, about, it's the word kairos, and, it, and it's more about an event. It's more about a moment or something happening. It's almost as if Jesus is saying here, not when you want it, not at a set time, but in God's time, his, his answer, his kingdom is coming is, and has come. It's almost about God's time rather than ours. And remember, this is 30 years after studying the scriptures and waiting for it to be the right time for his ministry. His opportunity. Age 30, his baptism happened. And just a short time after that, he had his opportunity. I struggle with simple obedience because I say those questions that were up on the screen. Is it really that simple? It's not that easy. How do I know it's really God who's saying this? But each of those struggles, mental, practical, uh, spiritual, can be overcome with patience, with time. Will simple, simply obeying God's word right now really result in the power to overcome temptation and sin and evil and darkness? Well, time will tell. This is really hard to obey God in this way. How do I do this? Well, be patient. Keep perspective. Keep waiting. And thirdly, how do I know that this is really what you're asking of me, God? How do I know this is you? Spend time to discern, to pray, to study the scriptures, to consult with others. Give it time. Or maybe it's not those those elements of obedience that is your struggle. Maybe it's that you... you're not sure that you really know that your identity is in Christ, that you're a beloved child of God, because that drives everything. 
So how do you really become secure in that? Be patient. Time with God will eventually tune you into the voice of the Father and he will say to you, you are my child, I'm really pleased with you. That takes time sometimes. Or maybe you can't quite accept that authority piece that you have to pray for the sick and they be healed and preach the gospel, that it be received and life transformed because maybe I'm not trained for it and it doesn't work when I do that. And, and I'm not sure, how do, how do I do this? Well, again, you may need time. God's given you the, the authority to do what Jesus did, but not in the way that he kind of gives a magic wand and goes, zap, now you're just like me. Now you're just as authoritative as me and have just as much power as I do. No, no, he, he gives us time to learn, to grow more like him. And over time, as we're obedient to him in small things, just the mundane things and the not very glorious things, for some reason wiping nappies comes to mind right now, then that incredible Holy Spirit power to overcome the stuff of the world. I just sounded like I said wiping nappies gives you Holy Spirit power. I, I think that's theologically correct. I'm not sure. But the, the mundane things, just the obedience to God in the small brings this increase in it almost becoming more normal that you have the life of the Spirit flowing through you, naturally supernatural. This is why fasting is so powerful. It's not fun at all. It's not exciting. I really love food. And uh, food, I don't believe it's a temptation to be overcome. I think it's the pinnacle of God's creation. But giving it up for a while, patiently, waiting until the next meal, it, it, just turning to God for sustenance instead when you've chosen to give up food, it produces in us a little, just a little more of that quality, just a little more of that character of God that is so otherworldly in this fast-paced world. Patience. I have some theories about why patience is such a significant aspect of God's character that's reflected in Jesus. But today I just want to leave you with, with this, this thought. That practicing patience, I should have put this up on the screen, don't forget this. Practicing patience, being still, creating space, is fundamentally about practicing the sovereignty of God. Now what does that mean? It's fundamentally, patience, giving things time, is fundamentally about saying, God, you are God and I am not. That is what it's about. Now, I've been on this gradual journey for years now where, where God has sort of challenged me to rest properly, to give space on one day of the week and to actually practice Sabbath. And I have. Uh, I've kept one day in the week holy and, and put aside work for rest, but it's been a little bit half-hearted, if I'm honest. And so it's not until probably this year that it's really begun to sunk in as to why this is such an important practice, not just to do it, but to do it well. And so please, I, I pray that you learn from my mistake and don't take five years to get this right. Sabbath is essential. Sabbath is just, I'm using that as a word for a concept of taking one day in seven completely off. Sabbath is essential because it literally places God on the throne of my life again, once a week, every week. That's it. When I'm not doing stuff, I'm forced to sit back and trust that God is in control. I'm forced to trust the irrational that there's more productivity in six days than there is in seven because on one day, God's completely in control. And over the course of 24 hours, phone switched off, email on auto-reply, God 
gradually is rethroned as the king of my heart and of my mind and of my body and of my whole life. This is just one way to practice time, patience, which is actually to practice the sovereignty of God, that God is Lord. It's powerful. Sabbath is just one uh, practice of patience, making space. It may be time in the morning um, with God. That's the same principle. It might be that holidays are not just for catching up on jobs for you. For me at the moment, it's allowing myself just in random moments to be with Josiah and Micah and occasionally Karen too. Without thinking, how do I get this kid to sleep or how do I achieve this with him on one arm so I can do something else? But just to be, just to be. Simple obedience. Jesus gives us plenty of guidance on what this looks like as we'll discover as we study his life this year. This is just one area, but we really will see that this simple obedience, it translates into incredible power over the temptations and trials of this world. And yet of everything, I think this element of Jesus' character is so key if we are to be a people of simple obedience, patience, time, space. So no matter what you're wrestling with right now, I just pray you'd give it time. No matter what, you, what mountain is in front of you, give it time. And whatever you're about to give up on, maybe that's you today. Something you just feel, I need to give up. No, give it time. Give it time. Allow the Lord to speak into your life, into your situation. Give it time. Father, thank you for your word. The example of Jesus in the desert, 40 days, just been obedient to you, waiting, waiting, waiting. So that at the other end of that, he would be filled with the Spirit's power to preach the gospel, to heal the sick. And as we launch into his ministry in the coming weeks, Lord, may we not forget that it started here in the desert, before which was the establishing, his, the establishing of his identity as a beloved child of God, so that from that place he was just willing to, to obey you, willing to do what you asked, to be formed by you. May we too be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before we finish today, um, as I said before, we're going to, oh, and, and last week, we're going to just mix things up a bit as to how we do things at the end of the service. Today, I'm going to put a couple of questions on the screen. And first, I want you to take 60 seconds yourself just to think about them. This is for the introverts in the room, just to reflect on your answer for this. And then to turn to somebody next to you, it can be a group of three if you want, and to say, yeah, this is what I think. Um, is, is sticking with me today. So the first one is, where's an area of your life where you can practice patience? Is it while you're holding your kid and trying to, trying to get stuff done? Is it in traffic? Where's an area where you make baby can practice patience and is there somebody who can keep you accountable who can help you do that? And the second is, what's a way that you need to carve out time to practice the sovereignty of God? Do you need a Sabbath? Do you need morning prayer time in the morning? Do you need a holiday? Amen. <laughs> and what's your plan to make this happen? Might be a fair bit there for um, a, f- a five or six minute discussion, but uh, as I said, give it a minute, have a think about that. You may know the answer straight away, but have a chance to, um, to process this with somebody next to you. So one minute to reflect and then um, talk.
talk with someone next to you.